I'm Sean Grigsby, your host for Cosmic Dragon. This is a speculative fiction podcast, which means we talk to authors, editors, agents, and the like in the realm of science fiction, fantasy, horror, and beyond. This is episode 24. We are talking all about and to and with Fonda Lee, who is the author of Jade City, the upcoming sequel to that, which is Jade War. She's also written uh, YA, uh, EXO from Scholastic, as well as Zero Boxer. We're going to be talking all about that. But we also have an awesome special guest host in that of David Dalglish, who asked to come on, geek out about Fonda's books. They're both Orbit authors, and they're both awesome. This was a fun time. We talk about all kinds of cool stuff. I really hope you enjoy it. Before we jump into that, though, I do want to talk about my books. I have two out currently. They are Smoke Eaters and Daughters of Forgotten Light. Go get them now. They're everywhere. But let's jump into the interview because it is a lengthy one, but it is an awesome one. Here's Fonda Lee with special guest host, David Douglas. I'm just going to have to try to come up with some money to go to some more cons in the future because good grief yeah really right <laughs> i used all my advance money to go to, and uh where i met uh fonda for the first time uh emerald city comic-con uh, we met at the random house uh party thing they were having i think oh that, that ridiculously night. loud cavernous like evening in that was it that place where it was like you couldn't hear anything and it was super sweaty yeah it was real hot <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. we—I didn't have to pay for any uh, drinks or food, so that kind of made up for everything. That that did, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But afterwards, I was like, yeah, I, it, it I, was I, really like, dry. Talk, couldn't hear anything. But that was—I mean, the Emerald City is a fun time. I, I loved it. I really did enjoy. It's like I mean, Disneyland for geeks, and then afterwards, you're like, I need to lie down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and Worldcon's the same way for me. Uh, I, I met you yeah. at Worldcon in the line. You were in the line to get your uh, badge and all that. Oh, right. And then I never saw you again after that. Yeah, <laughs> no, right. But that's Worldcon how... Worldcon is hilarious because you, like, you know, you're there for five days. And then, like, on the last day as you're checking out of the hotel, you, like, see someone who's been there the whole time that you've been, like, trying to find. And you're like, hi, bye. Right. <laughs> like, where have you been for the whole five days? So, and then there's certain people yeah. that you're like, ah, I want to go say hi to them, but I'm already in this group talking about stuff. Like that happened to me and uh, George R. R. Martin because I saw him there. And I'm like, I got to go say hi to this guy, but I never got the chance to do it because um, I was talking to a whole bunch of other people. So uh, maybe next time. Uh, but uh, we're, let's jump into the podcast since we're already having a conversation. And uh, we're, we're here, if people haven't already gathered, we're here with Fonda Lee. And if you don't know who Fonda Lee is and you read science fiction and fantasy, I, I don't know what's wrong with you. But uh, so, so you first came on the scene with your young adult Zero Boxer. Was that your debut? It was, yep. And In that came out in 2015. And then 2016 looked quiet. But in 2017, you had two books come out. And that was EXO, another young adult from uh, Scholastic. Yeah, I did. And, 2017 was a crazy year. Yeah. And then Jade City came out that same year from Orbit. Matt, it's actually so cool. I find myself, like, basically spoiled because now when I read a book I really like, because I've been published by Orbit, I can actually, like, contact the author (laughs) and they'll respond to me. (laughs) So I actually get to, like, interact with all these authors that I would be reading anyway, but now I'm... I've got the little special star, you know, next to me because I go, hey, he's published too. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty cool. That and happened. Then, go ahead, Fonda. 
And then every once in a while, I can, like, just kind of, you know, chit-chat with my editor about, like, hey, it'd be really great if I could get a copy of, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that a lot. Uh, I, I just finished, like, I had just finished Anne Leckie's, uh, oh, gosh, I'm pulling the blank, her first book. Uh, Ancillary Justice. Ancillary Justice. Ancillary Justice, yes. I had just finished Ancillary Justice, and I sent Debbie at the time a message. She's like, oh, it was so good. I can't wait, wait to read the second one, but it's not in my library. She's like, do you want a copy? Yes, <laughs> yeah. I do. <laughs> and then, uh, like, I, I, I posted a picture once that I, like, I had bought, I think it was when I bought Jade City, and, like, Brim was like, hey, if you ever want any Orbit books, just let me know. I'm like, well, okay then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that happened with me with uh, Scott Lynch because I was asking him if he would read uh, Ash Kickers and possibly blurb it. And uh, I said, I don't know if you would have to read Smoke Eaters. And he's like, oh, I already own that. I was like, what? <laughs> so that was nice. like the greatest day of my life. <laughs> that would be super cool. Scott was actually a volunteer firefighter for a long time, so I kind of like pieced those two things together. I said, well, that would be cool. Um, plus, it's Scott Lynch. And let, let's talk about uh, Jade City, uh, because uh, granted, all of your books have a lot of fanfare, but just looking at it, Jade City, for some reason, uh, just kind of exploded, and... Uh, I wonder if that's because it's more adult, even though I think YA has has a huge following. But but uh, lots of people really uh, found out about you through Jade City. Um, how how's that experience been like? Yeah, so uh, in a way, I got to be a debut author twice because, um, as we talked about, my real debut, Zero Boxer, was a young adult science fiction novel that came out in 2015, and it did pretty well. But it came out from a kind of smallish publisher um, called Flux, and uh, they did a nice job with it, but then they went through some ownership um, snafus where they uh, basically went under and got bought out by a, another publishing house, and so they were kind of um, MIA for a little while. So I did my next book, um, EXO, with Scholastic, and um, they bought two books in that series, so I was working on um, on a two-book uh duology with them while I was writing Jade City. And so when Jade City came out, it was my um, adult fantasy debut. And it was also a shift from um, science fiction to fantasy. So, uh, and it was a new publisher, obviously, because I was with Orbit. So uh, it, it was like my, it was like debut round two, if you will. And um, what it, did was uh, hit like a market that I hadn't really um, gone after before with, even though a lot of adult fans had discovered Zero Boxer and then um, EXO. Uh, I think Jade City um, was just kind of a, it was, it was funny because when it came out, a lot of the press around it was like, young adult author breaks into adult fiction with you know <laughs> Jade City. But I didn't, it didn't feel like that to me at all because I was writing um, those books concurrently. Uh, I was I had written EXO and was waiting to hear if uh, if Crossfire was going to be a go. So I had had this idea percolating in my mind for a long time. I actually have my notebook from I think it was 2014. So this was before my uh, debut came out and I had begun making initial notes for what would eventually become Jade City. 
and I had written in my notebook just the just the title. The first thing I had written was was Jade City. That's the thing that came to me first. And beneath it, I had written Wuxia Gangster Fantasy, and I'd written a line of the of the concept, and it was something like. Um, you know, a modern era world with guns and cars, but where combat is hand to hand and power rests with those who have jade. And then there's like a few blank lines followed by that's all I've got. No characters, (laughs) no plot. Where the fuck is this going? I don't know. And then I kind of sat there for like maybe a year while I worked on other projects. And I just kept coming back to this idea and working on it. So it was, uh, it was sort of funny when, when Jade City came out and everyone was like, wow, this YA author is like shifting into adult fiction because I had been working on Jade City off and on while I was working on my other work. So in my mind, I had always been um, both a young adult and an adult author. Um, and my adult, fi- my young adult fiction, Zero Boxer, uh, was kind of fell right in that gray zone in between young adult and adult fiction um, anyways. And in fact, uh, was 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 sort of a frustrating project when it came to submission because so many young adult editors were like it's kind of a bit adult and the mm-hmm. adult editors were like eh, it's kind of a bit too YA um and fortunately it found a home but I was much more deliberate after that about being like okay is this a young adult project or is this an adult project because I wanted to sit more neatly on a shelf which um, do you so feel- Sorry, which Sorry, do you feel ahead. more suits you as a whole, writing for a YA audience or like the more adult stuff? So I think I'm. Uh, that is a good question. Um, I am a spec fic author who straddles that line um, between YA and adult. If I have to be honest, I think the adult fiction fits me better. But I love some of the things about young adult. Um, in particular, I like the the fact that you can um, be I think, a lot more fast-paced, self-centered, and a little more daring with genre blending in young adult than you often get in adult fiction. So I would like to continue doing both. Um, right now, I'm just so deep in the Greenbone saga that that's that feels like very much my identity right now. Um, but I would like to keep doing both. We will, we shall see. We shall see. I think my voice is, is, is tends to be a little bit older than, um, sort of mainstream young adult fiction. So young adult, I don't ever imagine myself being kind of like a mainstream young adult fiction author. The stuff I write in young adult tends to be kind of niche, um, and it's it's kind of like on the hard end of hard, of sci-fi for young adult, um, and y- you know there's there's a few authors that that play in that space, um, you know like like uh, Paolo Bacigalupi and uh, you know there's Neil Schusterman. So there's 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 some authors that kind of play in that more science fictiony zone um, of young adult, um, but a lot of young adult science fiction isn't very satisfying to me because it's not um it it tends to be a little bit more science fantasy and like the science fiction is kind of a little bit more of a wrapping as opposed to you know being as science fictional as i would like it to be so we shall we will see um but uh, i like i I like doing 
a variety of stuff. I like writing in young adult and adult. I like writing science fiction and fantasy, and we'll just kind of uh, kind of take it as it goes, I guess. Uh, one of the nice things about Orbit, and this is something I believe, I think both Debbie and Britt have mentioned that Orbit in particular is pretty good about capturing a younger audience, even with its more adult stuff. So, uh, straddling that line may end up working pretty well for Orbit if you decide to tell a middle ground science fiction novel. Because you're still going to hit some of that audience, I think. I think there is a lot of uh, porousness across the line between young adult and adult fiction when it comes to science fiction and fantasy. And definitely both ways. There's obviously lots of adults reading young adults and vice versa. Right. I think Orbit can attract anybody, though. (laughs) 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 They're really good about that. They do have a really... uh, broad line like they've kind Mm -hmm. of got something for every speculative fiction reader yeah i mean it's fun yeah yeah they've got things like uh ann leckie's work all the way to you know kings of the wild and bloody rose (laughs) which couldn't be more different but yeah that it still kind of fits that 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 block that they've created in in i like how orbits kind of embrace some of the more pulpy stuff Yes, of science fiction and fantasy, which is what I grew up loving and close to my heart. So right, and that's what I write. So that's that's a, a big hope for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fonda, did you did you get bugged at all though when people would come out and were like, "Oh my gosh, a young adult author is going to try her hand at adult fiction"? Like, oh yeah, like it's an iguana learning to ride a unicycle or something. <laughs> like, not, not that you you've already been writing for years. And <laughs> Like it's a completely different thing to do. Yeah, that that does get a little bit annoying because you know there there are those people who are like young adult is not you know real literature kind of yeah, screw uh, people those guys. out there. Yeah, screw those guys. Um, but you know there were a few times when you know I got referred to as a debut author and I would be able to kind of snicker and be like, yeah, I've got like three books. <laughs> um, but at the same time it's weird right like the press likes debuts um and publicity likes to tout debuts so i was like fine just just go with it um but but yeah i I think they're uh i actually am quite glad personally kind of um snarky comments aside that i did have a couple of young adult novels under my belt when um when jade city came out because I think, and I, I obviously will never know this because I can't go the other way. I think it is, um, I, I, I think it's easier to move from writing young adult to adult than the other way around. And that's just a theory of mine. And the reason for that is because I've seen adult fiction authors try to write young adult and struggle with it or not hit the mark and i'm not saying that is universally true because clearly there are um yeah there are adult authors who move to young adult smoothly um but i have have seen um it be challenging for some of them because um young adult has a really particular voice and is in many ways um misunderstood in that i think a lot of adult speculative fiction writers think well as long as the 
main character is 16, I'm good, right? Like that makes it a young adult novel <laughs> when that's not true. There, there's, you know, more to it being a young adult novel than the fact that the hero is 16 years old. And it's much more about the themes and the voice and the pacing and the tone that are hard to get if you're not a young adult fiction reader or you haven't had like had some practice doing that. Um, so I think that's where some adult writers get tripped up when they start to write young adult fiction. While as I started out with this young adult novel, and I kind of almost stumbled into it because I, like I said, Zero Boxer was this. I, I was my debut, so I didn't wasn't really thinking all that hard about, is this young adult? Is this adult? I was just like, I just want to write a book. So I just wrote what I wanted to write. And then after the fact, tried to find a home for it. And because it um, fell sort of in this gray zone, when it got acquired by a young adult imprint, um, we did some work to make it more young adult. And so I, I had just that about experience. To ask if you did that. Yeah, I did I did have to do some work fitting it a little bit better into the young adult space. So I had some experience with knowing where that kind of dividing line was and then with my next book EXO I was more deliberate about making sure it was a young adult novel while at the same time working on Jade City and being much more deliberate about the fact that that was an adult novel. And the thing that writing those young adult novels gave me was a sense of being really focused, um, being uh, really deliberate about pacing and keeping the focus on the main character. Because young adult is a it's a very sort of, it's a self centered tone. The young a young adult character is really processing stuff all through kind of their experience and their coming of age. And when it came to writing Jade City, which was a much bigger more ambitious, more sprawling um, story with like a bigger world and a big canvas, that could have completely gone off the rails and gone in like 20 different directions if I hadn't had the experience of, of my previous novels. It was a book that I, at the time I conceived it, I knew I wasn't ready to write it. Um, and I had this idea for it, like I said, in, in 2014, my first book hadn't even come out and I, I kind of knew instinctively that I wasn't quite ready to tackle it. Um, so it took a while for me to get around to writing it. And uh, even then, there were multiple times when I was like, I don't know if I can pull this off. Um, but when it did come together, it came together in a way that I was really happy with. And it should be. Yeah. Uh, and to let listeners know, Jade City, and I'll have both of you uh, – obviously chime in on, on what your opinion or, or of the plot is, but it's been described as kind of like a, a Kung Fu film meets the Godfather um, in a second world fantasy, but it's kind of similar to like a late 1950s, 1960s Hong Kong, I guess. Um, but it's completely, it's not this world, at least I didn't read that. Uh, it was it was a part of mo it, it's modern day sensibilities, but it's completely second world. Is that would that be fair to say, Fonda? Yes. Okay. And uh, so these uh, certain people, these green bones, have the ability to use jade uh, to have these awesome fighting powers. Um, and Jade City kind of tells the, the the story of this this family. Um, and I, I, I cannot remember the name of the their group. The Cole family. That's right. And they're fighting the mountain. And I hate the mountain. And you do an <laughs> awesome job of making me hate them and want them to die a fiery, 
death because I cannot <laughs> stand these sons of anyway. So, but uh, David, what 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 would you call, how would you describe Jade City and the Greenbone uh, Saga? Uh, it honestly feels like a uh, like Prohibition era gangster, but also with cross with like anime. So people are summoning shields and punching people through walls and moving way faster than possible. So I, I freaking loved reading this book. Oh, thanks. Uh, the, the gosh, the one of the things that I just I want to specifically compliment on the uh, I'm terrible with names. So I'm forgetting who was the old old uh, father that's like just buried the in head Jade. of the family, but not really. Yeah, um, Call Sen the grandpa. Yeah. Yeah, Grandpa. Yeah. Um, your ability to just have, like, he's just this old man that's just kind of hanging around and just being grumpy every now and then. They're just trying to keep him busy. And then, like, in one scene, you just have him kind of wake up and get angry. And he just seems so terrifying. Uh-huh. Despite all the previous chapters where you, do, you don't highlight him like running around murdering people or giving any examples but like the way you were able to give this aura around people just by the descriptions of how the jade is affecting them and how like that's the personality and aura they're giving off so like when you have these great fights uh scenes which you have all over the book both like martial arts and gunplay which is also fun because you get like just this intermix of uh the fights feel very like I hate using this term, but very cinematic. In that, it's clear that like we're 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 here for a fight, and the fight is not going to be over in like three sentences, right? <laughs> like, which is one of the things that will annoy me every now and then. Oh, the big final confrontation between the hero and the villain, and done in a paragraph. And it's over. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no. They're going to hit each other. I always feel cheated in those situations, right? I like I, I wanted to pay off. Um, but clearly, there's a lot of influences in in Jade City from different genres. Yeah, um, you know the the gangster um, saga. There's a family drama. There's you know clearly influence from like kung fu movies, um, action cinema. Uh, so it was really a way for me to take things that I loved and mash them all together. And the challenge for me and the joy was in how do I how do I mash them together in like a, a seamless way? So it doesn't feel like I've just taken stuff and mashed it together, but it feels coherent. It feels like, like these pieces all fit together. Like, yes, there would be guns and also magic and muscle cars and family drama and like Jade. And so it was, you know, there's, there's all these cues that I really enjoyed um, putting in there. Like, coming up with names for the characters' cars and uh, <laughs> you know, things like things like that just to, to make the world um, feel real and to give the reader um, those sort of cues in this world that's not sort of your typical fantasy world. Um, because there's a lot of, I think, things that we fantasy read, uh, writers rely on readers understanding because of um kind of just tradition of the genre uh and if you are going to drop a reader into like a medieval europe there is going to be just things that they assume 
um, because they've read a bunch of other fantasy novels in medieval Europe. So you can say, you know, they saw a dragon or an elf or an orc, and like a, the reader will automatically um, fill in the gaps of what that looks like, unless you give them an explicit, you know, information to mm -hmm. the contrary. They'll fill that in because they've encountered that many, many times. Um, and the challenge with writing um, a story like Jade City is I was writing a fantasy novel that takes place in the modern era, but is a secondary world and has magic and has modern tech. So I had to, and not be able to, I'm not, I wasn't going to do a big info dump, like this takes place in 1972 or whatever. <laughs> like, so, so I had to kind of create all those cues for time and place and level of magic somewhat carefully and subtly so things like um you know making reference to like you know the phonograph in the corner of the twice lucky when they're eating like crispy squid balls so okay i had to make like okay now you're cute that this is sort of an asian analog world but it's not in our world because all the names are different of the place and the places are different but you know we're we have cars but we don't have and we have guns, but there's no mention of cell phones. Um, and that is uh, that was all done really deliberately, but I still get readers. It's very funny. Every once in a while, I get a reader who's like, I don't get it. There's When, when does this take place? Because there's like guns. <laughs> oh my gosh. There's no cell phones? Like, why not? Like, I'm like, you were born after 1995, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do have a question that I've I've been wondering about with Jade City, and now that I have you trapped here on a podcast with me, uh, I would like to ask. So, in Jade City, I guess just for anyone listening, basically the more jade you have, the faster, stronger, more powerful you become. Uh, in a pretty linear fashion, it seems. Obviously, correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, so I've, I've thought through a lot of the fights and a lot of the scenes. And if someone, I'm curious, if someone has significantly more Jade than someone else, does that just mean they're pretty much going to win? If no, they like so, engage in a fist fight? Yeah. So, I mean, I, the way I, I see it is uh, having more Jade <clears throat> is like an advantage, but there's a, it's, it plateaus out. Okay. So you you don't just keep getting like it's not like if you just you know wore a suit of jade you would mm -hmm. be like Superman. There's um, obviously a negative consequence health wise to wearing too much yes. jade. Yes, um, you see. established that really well. So uh, there's a there's there's a um, an element of one thing that annoys me in in fantasy novels is when like the magic just kind of makes you super powerful and that's mm -hmm. it. Like, there's no kind of cost or, you know, and especially, I think, as, as, a, as a martial artist, it annoys me when someone gets, like, some magic substance and, like, boom, they're, like, automatically the best warrior. Or mm -hmm. the neophyte goes to train with the master and, like, it seems like they train for a few months and, like, boom, they're, you know, the best <laughs> A few warrior. months. Try right, because I'm, days. like, it's, like, it's annoying. It's always annoying because, like, I've been, you know, training in martial arts for a good many years of my life and know that that just doesn't work that way. Like it's the progress is slow and you don't, you I, know, I think Aragon is my favorite example of that. Right. Like, particularly the movie is hysterical. Right. Like they fight 
I think for 30 seconds, I have skills, and then he's confident in fighting everyone else for the rest of the book. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, or, or something like uh, The Matrix, which I love the, the movie The Matrix, but it, it's, it always uh, makes me giggle a little bit, that scene where like Neo gets plugged in, and I he just downloads Fu. all the like knowledge, and he's like... I know Kung Fu. Yeah. I'm like, it's, I wish it was that easy. It's like a pretty clear fantasy right there. Like, <laughs> but at any rate, so, so um, what I really wanted to establish in the world of Jade City was that it took a lot of, uh, of training and time to be good at harnessing this Jade. So you couldn't just yes. put on a bunch of Jade and be more powerful. You, the Jade would amplify your abilities, but you had to have those abilities to begin with so it was like you know like you you can take steroids all you want but you're not going to be like a better fighter just because you have bigger muscles you have to like have the training to know how to use those muscles and have skill and like know is there a fight in jade city where someone with significantly less jade wins a one-on-one let me think about that well there isn't a very important scene uh but this person doesn't technically fight this other person because this person, the brother, um, is already going through some stuff, which actually brings me to uh, one thing I wanted to compliment you on is the the first uh, chapter you enter. It's not one of the uh, call family. It's not even a green bone. It's these uh, bus boys. Right. Uh, and, and, And I love that you could have just ended it there and just made an interesting scene and an interesting uh, introduction to the world, but you bring uh, the one of them back uh, for a very important scene that I will not spoil for people, but I I just want to let you know that I love that and it worked out perfectly. I'm glad to hear that because those, uh, that thief, um, Barrow, uh, kind of became, he was like that character that you have walk on the set and then he doesn't leave like as a writer sometimes you write the secondary character yeah and i, I got surprisingly that in, just sticks around i honestly got that impression of him when i was reading the book like at the start of the chapter i was like oh these feel like uh just kind of one-off characters and then the character came back i was like i bet he's starting to become more and more important and then sure yeah. enough by the end of the book yeah yeah um because i initially conceived of him as a framing device i figured he would show up in the beginning of the book kind of like in a prologue and sort of at the end as as like a epilogue and that he would be he'd basically be a framing device um in sort of the same way that you know sometimes george r R. martin has like those minor characters that show up at the beginning just to die so (laughs) i had i kind of had him at the beginning because i wanted a way to introduce the world and jade and what green bones were at a kind of in a in a more contained lower stakes way before we like jumped into the call family and all of its terminology and its politics and its interpersonal relationships that would be like that would be a hard place to start with these characters that already knew so much about the culture and the magic in the world so i wanted kind of a character who frankly isn't very bright (laughs) <laughs> to like tell us about the world and the jade first and his his like avarice his his greed for jade as someone who doesn't have it was a way to set up um this magic substance and then kind of and i and i like that idea of like opening with a minor character and then 
having the major characters walk onto the scene. So that's kind of how I anticipated having him. But then, then I realized I could use him in a whole bunch of different places throughout the plot, and that he had his own he had strong enough motivations to be like a important character in his own right. Um, and a lot of people hate him, which is another great reason to keep bringing him back. <laughs> it's sort of justified. It is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, just the fact that he, a lot of people are like, when is he going to die? And I like frustrating my readers in that oh way. that's a great feeling isn't it? like when are you gonna finally kill that character I the like more you him. hate him the longer yeah, he's I, I know I, I mean especially since I've now turned in the second book and yes he's he's in the second book um and uh, and I won't give away what happens to him but he has more stuff happens around him but what happened to him was he became kind of a um a force of chaos and luck so luck be- is this theme throughout the book right like the characters um within the culture uh you know they have these um these these little customs around luck like they tug their earlobe and they're often talking about luck and so barrow kind of became this narratively kind of a force of, of that sort of that outside spoiler he kind of becomes like luck impersonified he is lucky, that's for sure. Whether good or bad yeah, luck, exactly. obviously, is a matter of perspective. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I liked him. I don't know what these people are talking about. I like Barrow. <laughs> I, I trust uh, Fonda to give him a, the brutal, glorious death he deserves. <laughs> I mean, okay. That's my opinion on him. <laughs> Chelsea. Uh, well, I could go on and do a whole thesis on Barrow. Because he, he's, he's struggling in this system where he, he can't, you know... He can't wear the jade and be awesome like these right. other people. And I felt bad for him because, you yep. know, everybody wants to be better than they are. And he's, he's right. forever stuck. So that, that was a good conflict. Uh, so Jade War is the second book. Yes. And that comes out July yes. of this year. What can you tell us about Jade War? Jade War is, uh, is, is and I've, I'm sure I've said this at other points, um, I've often found the second book harder to write than the first book because you have established the world you've established the characters you've kind of built yourself this tidy little sandbox and now you're kind of trapped in the sandbox (laughs) you've got to tell a compelling story that stands alone in its own right and continues all the stuff from the first book and builds a bridge to the third book so in many ways the second book is um is is more challenging. Um, and what I faced with Jade War was um, continuing to build on these characters, but like, where do I, where do I go from, from, um, you know, the ending of, of Jade City? And what you'll find in Jade War is that the stakes become international, right? There's a lot of... Hey, 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 that's what I was hoping for. Yeah, so that in, in many ways, um, Jade War opens up the canvas of the world, so you will see other parts of the world, and um, and and goes overseas. Um, there are international threats to the clans because, uh, essentially, so it that that sort of um, analogy to like 1960s, 70s continues in that there's this essentially cold war between these two major powers, and. 
KCON and the Greenbones are kind of trapped in the middle there. So there are international threats. There's this um, this inter this jade smuggler, international jade smuggler, um, who shows up on the scene. There are these uh, other gangsters in another um, country. So it it opens up the scope and it and my vision of the series is that like Jade Jade City really was kind of like about KCON and the war between the clans. Jade War is the continuation of that, but the scope becomes international. And the third Jade book, which is not titled yet and not written yet, continues that, but the scope becomes intergenerational. So that's kind of the vision for the whole thing. And Jade War um, is in is it's they're sort of funny because there's be, they're almost become elements of like international espionage. They get involved um, in the in the narrative. Uh, there are issues of like modernization and globalization and how do the clans adapt to that, um, and that'll continue into the third book. I and in many ways, it becomes sorry. a story of like the Kekanese diaspora because there are um, green bones who are not on KCON who play a role in the story. You and of totally course, there's the going to be a lot of like, there's going to be, you know, more fight scenes and, uh, you know, family drama and some reverse. You should name, you should name the third book, Jade Legacy. <laughs> well, that actually, <laughs> that, that is what I, what I pitched to Orbit. Um, and I haven't heard back as to whether it's been accepted yet. Or oh, that's 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 the perfect one for that one. Yeah, um, but you no, read the, my mind completely on that one. See, we're we're right on. There's a reason I love Jade City so much. We're on the same wavelength. <laughs> um, with with Jade City, you did a great job in how the clans weren't just. I think some of the people that I've had issues with the story and reviews and stuff haven't quite didn't seem to quite get this that they're not just criminal enterprise gangsters like you would see in the u.s right. there's obviously a lot more cultural and legal grounding for these clans given how they basically kept uh their country independent in the first place yeah so the whole conflict of jade city it very naturally felt like one of them was uh the mountain i guess this would be sort of a spoiler warning i guess uh was working with outside countries to kind of help build their power yeah. So it feels very natural that as they're fighting for control of the city and the jade, it's inherently going to affect these outside countries that are still staring at jade in particular, just drooling. Yes. Um, I have a uh, another question, if you wouldn't mind answering, because it is something I have pondered about as well. Uh, this may also be a spoiler you can't answer. Um jade itself the actual jade and the effects it grants is that magical or is it more of a there's a science behind it because there is effectively a manufactured fake jade that is much more dangerous to the person but does give similar effects <laughs> so uh, this is it's an interesting question because it is magic, and yet I treat it as a natural thing. Yes. And I I like that. I like 
treating the magic in my world almost in a science fictional manner. So it's mm -hmm. a low magic world. The only magic in this world is Jade. And the people who live in this world don't really think of Jade as magic. They just think of it as like this natural substance that gives people these powers and we don't really know how it works but it works and there's you know there's there's things like that in in our world um you know i can't think of one off the top of our head but you know things that we're like we're not really sure how that works but it does um and and so i never call jade magic i never call the jade disciplines magic mm -hmm. and i like the fact that you know there are uh, you know, a big a big conflict point in the overarching narrative is the manufacture of this drug that allows people who don't kind of naturally have the ability to harness jade to harness it, and it's not good for you. But mm -hmm. you know, you can you can circumvent some of the limits of the magic with science, mm -hmm. and I, I, I and so I like to blur that line. Like I I like to make um, this magic world seem really um, normal, if you will. Like I've kind of like normalized the magic to the point where the people in that world would not refer to it as magic. So in a way, it's kind of like force powers in Star Wars where, yeah, it's magic, but you could like, you know, if some scientist were to really dig into it and call it midichlorians or something like that, you could. Oh, you're um, on dangerous ground now. Yeah, I know, right? And, and do you need to? No, I don't think so. Like, I don't think I'm never going to have a scene. Let's just, let me just promise right now that I will never have a scene in which some scientist explains how Jade works via midichlorians or, you know, the, <laughs> the, the equivalent of. Um, so I always want to kind of keep it this thing that is just accepted and and it's it's for all intent for narrative purposes it's magic but it's so um kind of grounded and um and like the limits of it are well understood so it feels almost science fictional i actually kind of mentally viewed jade city as a science fiction book not really a fantasy book right in my head uh, yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had people say, like, well, it's kind of like it's it's a sort of science fictional fantasy world. And uh, and because it is modern era and there is modern tech and the jade is treated sort of science fictionally. And then people are like, well, is it urban fantasy? Uh, so Why do this people is, argue about yeah. that? It's like, I who cares? Yeah, I know, <laughs> you must I have know, classifications. Have you read uh, The Fifth Season? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I uh, hear you on the, like, you know, it's like, it, it doesn't matter whether it's science fiction or fantasy. No, it mm -hmm. doesn't. Uh, so. your, the way Jade works actually strikes me very similar to how in fifth season, the, gosh, I probably got to pronounce this wrong, like the Orogenes. Right. Uh, the way it's treated in that book is, feels so grounded and scientific. Yeah that you kind of start to accept that, well, obviously it's not magic. Right. Magic has no real explanation. It's just, you know, wonder, like, there's clearly science fiction involved, which right. then Jemison has her own fun with. So that's kind of how I viewed Jade. 
but then if you look at like every single review in existence, it just keeps referring to Jade as magic. And I was starting to wonder if I had just missed something. No, I mean, there, there are a few things. This is always what happens, right? And you guys can relate to this. You write a book and then it goes out in the world and then people are just going to like have their take on it and you can't like step in and correct them (laughs) oh my god yes (laughs) it's really frustrating right like you see them refer to things like flat out wrong or in a way i mean and not sometimes not wrong sometimes just in a way that you're like yeah that's that's not how (laughs) how oh my gosh and they they and you can't do anything they describe the plot and and then like there's in like 15 of them describe this one little plot point the same way and you're like no that's not what happens i specifically remember putting an entire like section saying that it, uh, the one with me is with the and daughters of forgotten light women get sent to oubliette but they also get sent to the military but like people just th- th- thought it was like a gender separation i was like that's not what i did yeah right right <laughs> so for me with jade city it's the you know they always get referred to as uh crime families and nowhere is it ever and david you mentioned this like the the clans are not criminal organizations in the way that we think of like the mob here in america it's a completely different cultural context and i'm and the reason they're doing it is because they're drawing obviously on their previous knowledge of like gangster movies like Goodfellas and well, a lot of advertising and things I've seen with Jade City. I was actually wanted to ask about this. They it's constantly referred to as the Godfather mixed with, and then the, you know the Matrix or Kung Fu movies or whatever. Yeah. Right? Do you like that Godfather comparison? I'm fine. So I'm fine with it because I I love the Godfather, but um, not because it's a crime saga but because it's a family saga yes and it's about power and succession and one of the reasons why it is such a classic and is like listed on you know like best american films of all time that sort of thing is because it rises above being like a story about mobsters it's not I mean, it, yeah, the characters are mobsters, but the real story of the Godfather is the story of this family and about the succession of the Corleone dynasty. Um, and so that is really part of my vision of this, the Greenbone saga as well, is that it's going to have jade and international conflict and, you know, street fights and all this. But at the end of the day, the story is the story of the Call family. Um, and so that is very apt. Um, but I think something that happens is that people hear that comp and it's a great pitch. Honestly, I've used it a lot in cons when people are like, you know, when you introduce yourself on panels and I've said, I've written this book, Jade City, you can think of it as the godfather with magic and Kung Fu. It's a nice snappy, um, little pitch line and it helps. Um, but, uh, but I, I think it's it's apt more in the comparison of the fact that um, it's about this family, and uh, I did draw a lot from insp- of inspiration from crime genre um, tropes. But the clans themselves are not criminal organizations; they are they are the legitimate kind of shadow government of this. Um, of I see this it place. kind of like a knighthood uh, sort of thing, where they're protecting their district. And, and they, mm-hmm. they help them. And obviously, you know, the businesses 
give them things and provide you know it's kind of a symbiotic relationship which can be you know the, i know the mafia and stuff does that kind of like you know protection money thing but i, don't, I didn't see it quite like that but maybe that's where people kind of gather that yeah i mean clearly people uh, read it different ways but um i th- i think also um you know one thing that a lot of people casual readers would not know is that i drew a lot of the inspiration for the clans from um the japanese yakuza and the chinese triads in addition to like the italian american mafia and so on um so you know in in uh japan for example um the yakuza although they are criminal organizations are are more they're almost legitimate they're more they're they're semi-legitimate they actually have offices and business cards and you know when the tsunami um the, sorry, the uh, the big earthquake and tsunami hit Japan. They were out there with uh, bottled water and supplies, kind of helping ordinary people. There are entire magazines in Japan that, like, are fan mags that just follow the exploits of you know Yakuza members. Um, <laughs> so you so, to think of yeah, like, right? But, and so that's like a context that you know a lot of you know most people would not have. Um, so the Yakuza in Japan are just much more out in the limelight um, than, than, you know, we think of organized crime here. Um, And the Chinese triads, um, although they evolved into, you know, what we think of as an organized crime organization, did not ever start out as one. So the Chinese triads began um, during the, uh, the Qing dynasty, because that was um, a dynasty in, in which uh, a foreigner was on on the throne so there was a manchu dynasty and there these triads were like secret societies they were basically like rebel groups and um they they were like devoted to their base they they were devoted to like overthrowing this foreign dynasty and helping the common people and so they were like these they were basically like a resistance organization um and it meant and if you think of uh how that kind of got um how they got like exported um, to North America, the tongs in like, you know, San Francisco were basically like mutual aid societies and, you know, eventually evolved into what we think of as the triads, but they were a way for immigrants who didn't really have any recourse to go to the police and so on um, to kind of help each other out. So, uh, so some of that influence, so I kind of almost imagined, you know, that kind of origin for the clans, right? They were fighting this this um, foreign occupation, and when that occupation went away, they filled that power void. They became uh, the de facto ruling class. Um, and so a lot of that historical context and the, like, history in, from our own world filtered into the world creation but you know, people simplify it down to crime families. I'm like, oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's frustrating when people do that, and there's nothing you can do. It's fighting and losing. But you you mentioned uh, yakuza. Uh, I, I lived in Japan for a few years uh, when I was a kid, and I remember I can't remember if we were in Tokyo or Yakota or where we were, but we were out, and uh, my mom taught English to uh, Japanese students. And one of the students took me to the side. And he's like, hey, you see those guys over there? And I was like, yeah. 
their yakuza and they had the dark suits and the the sunglasses and stuff and you know as a kid i'm like oh cool what's you know i didn't know what that was but later looking back i'm like well those were probably yakuza or maybe he was just messing with me but (laughs) i think that's what i mean i wouldn't certainly wouldn't be surprised i mean right they have like they hold parades you know they like yeah they're just much more kind of accepted um as almost celebrities yeah uh, and I think, you know, there's been more kind of a legal crackdown in, in recent years, but, um, but yeah, for, for a long time there, I, I read a bunch of nonfiction books, um, in order to, uh, to write Jade City. And there was, um, mention of, uh, you know, the fact that like, sometimes the police would even cooperate with the Yakuza and like, they would like the Yakuza would like kind of tip them off on, on like you know drug dealers and stuff like that and yeah. or like the police would basically be like hey this is where we're gonna do raids so you know <laughs> so, <laughs> um <clears throat> so so i think it's just sort of a different uh, cultural context that you know like like i said people hear the word elf and they're gonna have a certain idea of what that means and uh you know readers are gonna come at a book with their own preconceived notions and there's not really anything you can do about that other than try to you know render the world and the characters as truthfully as you can right now you've been nominated and i think you've won uh several awards i know you were nominated for the andre norton uh did you win that one no okay um, but you did win a nebula no you didn't win I a nebula. Won, I didn't. I won the uh, the Stone Skies took took the nebula this year, oh, that's and right. I won the World Fantasy Award. That's and what it a was. A couple of Aurora Awards, which are Canada's top science fiction fantasy prize. Which and you're a Canadian American. I am. You were born in Calgary. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, I, I always according apologize. to you, destined to become a uh, uh, dragon worshiping. <laughs> Do you still was, live in Canada? I do not. I live in Portland, Oregon now. So I slightly was, warmer then. I was about to apologize to you, Fonda, because I, I I apologize to every Canadian I come in contact with, now, <laughs> especially if I think they they've read or know about the book. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, which was interesting, uh, and I don't tell many people this, but uh, Neo Toronto was originally Neo Tokyo. Oh, really? Yeah, and my agent was like, hey, I don't know if we should do this. And I was like, ah, what can I... Oh, Canada. So, <laughs> so that's, that's what we did. Because we're easy to pick on. No, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Tokyo, Canada. I mean, they're so similar. Well, then I thought, you know, it's, it's, it, it'd be more interesting if, like, you know, Canada and America, they're, they're right there. They're, they're, uh, their culture is not that uh, different. So what if... In the future, it's completely different, and like <laughs> I just crank up the the you know the Canadian pacifist uh, uh, stereotype and the American like anyway, uh, read Smoke Eaters. <laughs> uh, but EXO <laughs> uh, and Crossfire are your uh, and also Zero Boxer, but EXO and Crossfire are a uh, duo, and uh, Crossfire came out the same year as Jade City. Uh, what can you tell us about this? Because you know we we want everybody to read all of your books, obviously. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> so, EXO <laughs> and Crossfire are a, a duology, and um, they are young adult science fiction story that's set a hundred years after aliens have colonized Earth. So, um, they're basically like ba- basically the aliens came, 
we had a war because that's what we do when aliens come and we lost and the aliens are here to stay so uh, it's set like a hundred years later and on an earth where we have to coexist um, with another apex species and uh, it's about this character named donovan and he is not uh, kind of your typical plucky teenage rebel sort of character he is the son of the prime liaison who's the head of state um in this this future world um so that's a it, his the country of west america is actually all of earth um has a collaborationist government um that cooperates with the aliens and uh, and so donovan is he's he's part of the system and he's an exo um which means that he is one of sort of a subset of humans who um have been approved by the aliens to receive this alien biotechnology so he has this alien tech that's um been put into his body in a childhood procedure and so he has this like this alien body armor which he can kind of extend or retract at will and gives him this advantage over pretty much all other humans makes him live twice as long he's stronger he's more invulnerable etc so he's part of the privileged class in this in this future world and uh and he gets um he's on a on this routine patrol he's part of a security team uh, that kind of keeps order in the one of the main cities and he gets uh so this patrol goes wrong badly wrong and he gets abducted by this uh terrorist organization um that's basically hell-bent on on kicking the aliens off of earth and regaining control of the planet so um the reason i wrote the series is because i um even though i i enjoy quite a bit of young adult fiction um there are tropes that that i see over and over again and sometimes as a writer you just want to write something to do the opposite of this thing that you keep reading about and you're getting sick of. Yes. <laughs> so that was kind of me with, with these books uh, because I was reading so many, there's so much YA dystopia in which there's like this oppressive authoritarian government. And then there's like the teenage rebel who's going to overthrow the government, like hunger games and divergent. And, you know, there's so many of these. Um, and uh, as a, as a speculative fiction writer, it always kind of bugs me a little bit how black and white um, it's set up to be. Right. Right. Like you think of like the Hunger Games. Well, first of all, I mean, like how does that world even work? Like, like the Hunger Games even aren't like they aren't even like a very good way of controlling. <laughs> the way. And then you know, Hunger Games is a dystopia, but really, if you if you're living in the capital, it's pretty utopic, right? Mm -hmm. So there's there's all these. Um, moral ambiguities that I like to play with in my in my fiction. I, I, I actually I don't think I ever write kind of pure good and bad characters, um, and and that that holds true for for my young adult fiction as well. So I wanted to write a story that kind of spun a lot of those YA dystopia tropes on its head, and um, had a character that was actually kind of has to kind of do the best he can within the constraints of um, the world that he lives in. And so he's like, he fights these terrorists. So the terrorists have their reasons, right? They're like, hey, like, Earth belongs to humans. And like, you know, there's all these things that we don't like about the aliens governing us and stuff. But actually, there's like a bunch of good things about the aliens governing us too. 
And so Donovan's kind of wrestling with that, and he's he's torn between a bunch of things that are going on in his life, and there's like a um, you know personal stuff that happens to him. And so I wanted to do something like that, but that also just had like a lot of fun gunfights and aliens and stuff like that. So that was that was uh, EXO and Crossfire, um, and. Um, I had a lot of fun with them. My um, editor at Scholastic has been like, so what are you going to do next? <laughs> and this is the challenge of, of writing in two categories and having two publishers yeah. is uh, at any given time, you're like, I should, like, I can't, I don't have anything for you right now. I've got to finish. <laughs> I'm working for the other people right now. Yeah, I'll get back to you. Yeah, giant-ass trilogy. I really have to hand in and finish before I can get back to you. So, um, but I, I, definitely have other other uh young adult fiction ideas but um you know it's I'm, I'm really fond of all my books in different ways i'm like kind of a world building junkie because i've written four well i have four books out and they're set in three very different worlds right um so i can't like just make it easy for myself or anything do you ever worry that you <laughs> might mix them mix the two up like where the aliens somehow <laughs> You can have Jade, and you're like, wait, 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 no, wrong, wrong world, wrong book. Wait, wait, wait. Well, maybe, maybe that I can do that great. with Jade. I, just, I like go into the space age, and then it'll be like Jade in space. Hey, and then I combine it, then I'll make it into the multiverse. I, um, the best thing about having multiple series is you can try and put little Easter eggs and references between them, <laughs> and as yeah. long as no one catches it, no one can right. stop. I tweeted once. I said, you know what? In 30 years. Uh, I'm going to come out and say every single one of my books occurs in the same universe just for the hell of it. Yeah, and really right. confuse like, people. Try to mess, yeah, mess people up and they'll try and look for like... <laughs> like Stephen space. King tried to do or, or whatever. <laughs> like it was connected to... Anyway. Um, so Zero Boxer, what's Zero Boxer about? So Zero Boxer, um, I have described as MMA in space. Or, uh, oh, rock- nice. Yeah. It's like Arena. So, Did you, have you ever seen that movie Arena? No, I haven't seen Arena. Oh. What is it? it? It's like this old, like early '90s. Uh, Matt Wallace has a poster of Arena in his uh, writing office, and I, it, when he shared it online, I said, "Oh, that's Arena." Uh, yeah, you need to totally. I'm sorry, I, I took over. <laughs> Zero Boxer. That, that's actually the first thing I thought about when I saw Zero Boxer was that movie. Huh? Yeah, they, okay. it's like this guy fighting aliens in space. Okay. I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah, it's really so, cheesy. It good. Yeah. No, it's is terrible. It like some, but, yeah, is it yeah. like just so bad it's good movies? Yes, that's exactly okay. what it is. Got it. So uh, yeah, so Zero Boxer was um, it's a, it, it's about this up and coming athletic prodigy who's a rising star in the sport of zero gravity prize fighting, um, and uh, he gets embroiled in a bunch of. Um, interplanetary politics between earth and mars and this criminal conspiracy involving genetic engineering um and uh and yeah so it 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 was a lot that was that was a lot of fun especially because i just got to write a lot of fight scenes in zero gravity so you know kind of like that you know that weightless um battle scene in ender's game yes yeah so i kind of took that but like turned it into a sport and then into, into an entire novel Oh, awesome. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Is it the, just a one-off? But, you know, it's also... Uh, so, I... I like... Um, I like writing books that have kind of that cool factor, but also just a lot of 
kind of layers or like more stuff going on underneath them. Right. Um, and I was when I was writing Zero Boxer, I so I used to work in corporate strategy before I blew out of that and now write stories with aliens and space and magic. But before that, <laughs> I uh, worked in the business world and I worked at Nike. So I spent many years working in corporate strategy at Nike. So I got kind of this first row view into kind of how, uh, you know, the sports marketing industry works. And that, a lot of that, so there's a lot of kind of commentary and um, sort of uh, uh, elements of like sports celebrity and uh, sports marketing that filter into the story of Zero Boxer as well. Oh, nice. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's always nice when people uh, <coughs> call that out. And because I worry sometimes that people just look at my books as superficial, like, you know, explosions and, and stuff. But the ones who say, oh, my gosh, this was really a story about blank. I mean, has that happened to you with, with Zero Box or any other of your books? Definitely. There's always, <coughs> there's always um, you know, that really great feeling you get when, like, the target reader reads the book. Yes. And writes you and tells you, like, how much they connected with it. Absolutely. I can't think of, like, a better feeling than that. I had, um, like, I had, with Zero Boxer, I had a few emails from, um, one of them was from, like, you know, a, a senior um, in high school who was, like, uh, you know, an athlete, and he wrote me and told me about, like, how much he connected to this book, like, both as a, like, science fiction lover, as an athlete, and I was just like, yeah, that just felt really great. I'd like another reader who's a mom to, like, three Division One athletes, and right. she's like, I totally get this, like, you, you nailed that dynamic between, like, the coach and the, and the main character, and, um, you know, and it's funny, I, so, uh, Zero Boxer was, translated into hebrew um oh, and cool. yeah and and uh out of the blue i got this message from um the uh the fellow who did the translation and he told me that he's translated a bunch of books into from english into hebrew but he himself is um an, a uh, martial artist studying jujitsu and he was training for his black belt or prepping for his black belt test at the time that he was translating zero boxer and so he he just wrote me a note saying that like how much he enjoyed the book and enjoyed translating it and how much it meant to him personally to be reading it and working on it while he was getting in the mindset for his black belt testing so like those sorts of moments where you're like you know i mean you can get as an author i'm sure you you you've both felt this right you can get kind of it can be kind of rough when you go on to like amazon or goodreads and like it's like your book has just been reduced to a bunch of star ratings and with yes. like <laughs> being like liked it or like eh you know like you're like great or they don't say anything and they leave a three-star right, like review it, like you kind of feel like you've thrown this book out into the wild to be sort of just like judged by the masses yes which you totally have um but you know you put your heart and soul in so much of yourself into the story um and every once in a while there's someone who comes to it from the place that you you meant it 
Yes. Do you know, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and those moments are like, they're gold. Um, and then you realize, wow, like the, my book really meant something to like, even this one person, like this one person, um, really took something away from this book and like that that makes it feel more real and now you're getting fan art fan art is so cool <laughs> yeah the, the guy uh posted it and uh i think david was the first one who said well have you shown this to fonda and i was like i got this and that's when i took you in it. <laughs> thank uh, you for doing that i was I, like that, I, that made my day. I, I didn't tag her, though, because he said the work wasn't finished yet. I know. <laughs> so and I wanted to make I, sure. I was going to be that guy. I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be like, he might be planning on showing it to her, but he's not done yet. So maybe you're going to, like, spoil the surprise. Yeah. No, I, I can't draw worth <clears throat> a darn. Like, I, I, you, could, you could draw, like, three stick figures and, like, label them with my characters names and i'd be like wow <laughs> i would take wow. that i would accept that i would love that so i i think because i can't I, i'm always amazed by people who have like multiple artistic talents you can like draw sing write and whatever because mm-hmm. i'm like wow writing is really hard and i don't even know <laughs> artists i don't know if that's a superpower i don't understand that at I, all i can't even whistle or snap my fingers i'm lucky i can write <laughs> like, lucky i have like you know, ability in just one artistic realm. If I can just kind of capitalize on this one, they'll be, I'll be happy. Um, but so people who can, who can draw are like amazing to me. Um, and so it's, so when I see, you know, someone being moved to make art out of something I've done, that's super cool. It's just like, yeah. That's, that's, why, that's why I view any sort of fan fiction as just an amazing compliment. Yeah. Have you have you had fan fiction, David, written in your world? Uh, I have had some, yes. Well, hey, like not not a ton amount, but I have had a couple. I also have like one super fan who I first met her when she and a friend made the religious symbols of the two deities from my half orc series out of pancakes and <laughs> sent me awesome. a picture of the pancakes, and I was like. You, this is amazing. This is the greatest gift I have ever received as an author. <laughs> right. You're like, I will remember these pancake pancake fan art. So I stayed in contact with her like ever since. So she actually sent me, she wrote a little paladins like set in the same world and in some of the locations, but like a different characters and stuff. And it's, it's super flattering to know that not only do people love the world you've built and the characters you've made, not only do they love it enough to read it and want more of it, but they're willing to spend their own time basically playing in that same sandbox. Yeah. So, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Jade City has fan fiction out there. Have you looked? I have not. I don't really know where to... I mean, I remember being, like, going on fanfiction.net like 15 years ago, but I've never... Somebody did I did have... Oh, sorry. I was was just going to say, somebody did a Lego... Uh, firefighter and dragon thing, but I don't think they did it in reference to my book. <laughs> I think they just did it to do it, and it, and I shared it, and it was Playmobil. It was actually not Lego; it was the off-brand Lego. Right, like the kind of like, um, yeah, I know. They're like Play- the thicker blocks. Yeah, yeah, the thicker blocks. Yes, yeah. more safe, <laughs> less less painful for uh, parents, and less swallowable. But that'd be but awesome. Hey, you can, I, 
I, I did have one high school teacher um, who assigned fan fiction in his class and which I just think is super cool because like, I that didn't is. have an English teacher that was that cool um, and one one of the students wrote a, a world a fanfic that was set in the world of Zero Boxer and so he like took a picture of it and sent it tweeted it at me and I thought that was super cool oh that's oh, awesome nice. that is really good <laughs> See, that's the kind of stuff you get writing YA in, in middle grade that you probably wouldn't get. I think you would get that more often in a younger audience uh, than an older You're right. audience. Yeah, there is something so awesome about teenage fans. Because it's like they're not, you know, like as, a, as an adult, I read a lot of good books and, um, you know, I love books, but as an adult, you've already kind of read your formative works Does that makes sense yes mm-hmm. you know, like now you've you've read a lot like you've read a lot of books and so each new book you read even if it's like fantastic um it's kind of not going to have as huge of a formative impact on you as a person as like the book that you read when you were 13 years old and fell in love with and you carried with you everywhere and it like fell apart in your backpack yeah because you're still malleable at that time right and and um I've, i've been to i've had the fortune of being sent to a couple of teen book festivals and there's just nothing like the energy at those because they're they'll like bus in a bunch of kids on like a saturday morning and these kids are so keen like they're just so excited like the authors are like rock stars to them these are like (laughs) the kids who read voraciously i was one of those kids i read a ton and and wanted to be a writer um and then you know grew up and had a practical job before I kind of rediscovered my love of writing but when I was a kid um, I would read voraciously and so you you go to one of these teen book festivals and you get kids like that the ones who are like willing to wake up early on a Saturday morning and to go to this book festival and meet authors and the energy is so just so fantastic because these kids are reading the books that are really formative for them um, and when they love a book, they just, they love it so much. It's great. It's, it is pretty cool. And one of the reasons why I, why I st- kind of still want to try, um, uh, keeping my foot in the door with both YA and adult. Yeah. I, maybe someday I'll, I'll jump into that. I want to write the next Goosebumps or, or, you know, <laughs> the new, the new era of Goosebumps, not, not specifically calling it that, but, um, that's, that sounds awesome. Um, we're, we're kind of running down on time so i'll just shoot some rapid fire questions at you and david jump in as well but uh fonda how do you work how, how does fonda lee write <laughs> how do i write uh <laughs> painfully slowly and painfully that's how it feels um i i'm not one of these like write everyday authors mm-hmm. you know there's those there are those that are um and i try to kind of um set myself long term and then kind of middle term and then short term goals so like for example i gotta finish i know i have to finish jade war by like 
um, a certain well I've, I've done that one I guess book three I have to finish book three of this of this trilogy by a certain date so I'm kind of working backwards from that and they'll be like okay well I want to get like a draft my beta readers by this date and that means I got to try and get a first draft done by like this date and then I gotta I'm gonna leave myself this much time for drafting because I'm going to assume that I can draft at this kind of rate taking into account I got to travel and do author events and stuff like that um and so once I'm drafting, I, I kind of aim for like about one to 2,000 words a day. Um, I'm not a fast writer. I'm kind of a slow and methodical writer, to be honest. Um, and the upside of that is that my f first draft is relatively clean, um, relatively being the operative word here. And my revisions tend to go relatively quickly, but it does take me a long time to get uh, that first draft out. Because I, and I also spend a lot of time up front. I am more of a, of a, a planner. Um, so I'll spend a lot of time just outlining and writing notes in my notebook and staring out the window and taking long walks and <laughs> doing a lot of stuff in my head yeah. before I start writing. And um, then also just well i'll i'll write and sometimes i will like just go back like i'll i'll realize something's not working and i'll backtrack and i'll do it so it's, it's almost hard for me to be like oh this is first draft this is second draft it all kind of like mushes together and i'll be like this is draft 2.34 i don't really know <laughs> yeah because like, there'll be times like some things are like really well they're coming together really well and so i'm like working on that and that's part feels really solid and then there's like this lump that's just a mess i think it's a, it was hard with um with uh with the jade um books to uh write in sort of any linear fashion um because there's so there's multiple povs and there's a lot of stuff going on yeah that i couldn't just be like chapter two chapter three chapter four like i couldn't really kind of do it that way i almost had to write a bunch of the POVs in parallel and then figure out how to stitch it together. Oh, wow. That, that's so more work example, than I want to do. <laughs> yeah, like Jade War and in Leaves KCON and he's got his whole, um, you know, his, his whole journey is in a different place. So in order to maintain momentum, I basically like wrote all of his chapters and then figured out how they fit into the bigger narrative, um, and so it wasn't it wasn't a linear process. Um, but uh, I'm I I will try basically like I, my kids go to school and I sit down with my copious amounts of tea and, <laughs> and, and try to go at it. Um, and I'm I'm definitely not uh, consistent. There's there's you know days where I get quite a bit of writing done, and then days where I just kind of you know, bang my head on the wall, but like finish this paragraph because <laughs> like We've I really all had those. Yeah, <clears throat> I've had days where I'm at the firehouse and things are going great, but we get slammed with random calls, and I never get back to finish um, that particular scene, and it right, destroys yeah. me, and I hate it. But the next day, you know, <laughs> I'll come at it fresh. It's hard because. It feels like writing momentum is not something you really control. Yes. You can't really plan for it. Like, I could be like, you know what? 
this week is really light. Like, I don't have any other commitments. I should just really be super productive this week and bang out, like, you know, a whole bunch of words. But it doesn't always work that way. And then sometimes you've got it. Like, you you finally caught hold of the energy, but, like, you get slammed by real life and you can't take advantage of it. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I, I use an alpha smart now, which is these old word processors they gave to students. Yeah, I love I this thing. Readers who do that, does it work? Yes, for you? Like, you find yes, it, it. I love it. Uh, for one, yeah. you only see like three to four lines at a time, so yeah. that helps with momentum. Uh, it has no internet, so that's distraction free. It's very light, very portable. The battery lasts forever. It's just like two double A's. Um, I love it. I write more on it because for some reason, when I use my laptop, I go, okay, no matter what, I will get to the thousand mark. But with this, without having a, a word number there uh, staring at me at the bottom left-hand corner, I can just keep going and I might catch a second wind and like, you know, and end up writing like 500 more words than I intended. So mm. it's, it's cool stuff like that. I love it. It's only like 20, 30 bucks on eBay. I highly recommend it. And it's a lot hmm. cheaper than that uh, free write thing that I hear people right. talk about. That was like $500, you nuts. I just buy a Dell computer for that much. I did. Uh, I think. I think I heard of someone's like Neo going bust on them and like losing a whole bunch of stuff, and oh, that's why no. like they invest into a free write. Yeah, <laughs> I could see that. That's the nightmare right there. Oh, yeah. Now you, got, now you have me worried. See, I always try to, to to as soon as I finish a chapter, plug it in and, and hit send. Yeah. But still, ooh, that'd be terrible. <laughs> Do you have any tricks, David? Any productivity tricks that you use? Uh, I've actually used so many different ones because I'm like a grand gesture type of person where like, I'll try and do some big change to like, Oh, I'm going to do this and this will cause me to write. Well, um, the biggest one for me was always, uh, no internet getting yeah. a way to like, I used to go to the library with a laptop. Yes, and, me too. Uh, eventually stopped because my neck was killing me, but being there with no access to a laptop helped a lot. Yeah. Also, by going to the library and leaving my house helped give it a structured job feel. Yeah. yeah. Which is a lot harder to get when you're still in your house. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, with the Netflix in the right there. That you slept in. Um, yeah. Uh, I currently use a program called Freedom. I do that uh, too. Yeah. I had to start using it because uh, it's amazing how subconscious it became for me to hit a point where I was struggling and my mouse would just flick over to Chrome to load up Twitter or to load yeah. up my email. And like uh, the first couple times I had freedom, I'd be like opening, there's you know no connection. Like, oh, right. And close it like five times in like yeah. two hours. Um, the uh, other than that, like I've done, I've had a treadmill desk, which I liked. That was nice. Uh, but I got a treadmill desk too, but... I'm not using it as much as I hoped I would. Mine broke, so I'm not using it anymore. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I used a program called Write or Die, mm -hmm. and that was decent. But the formatting on it was so bad that trying to take it out of the program and put it into Word was like a nightmare. Oh. So I eventually stopped with that. But Is that uh, the one where if you don't write within a certain time it frame, starts it starts deleting, deleting your oh, hell. So start Well, you choose what the punishment is. So it can start playing a terrible sound or displaying a picture of spiders 
or <laughs> which I, I definitely wasn't. I, I never did the deletion because I was like, no. You're right. Yeah, that's, I'm not mm. sure. That's just. Uh, yeah. But it was nice. I I set the screen flare to happen after like 30 seconds because what was starting to happen was I would just kind of days off <laughs> and like the screen flare is like hey you haven't typed anything for like 30 seconds mm-hmm. you should probably keep going but i eventually just started like hitting the space bar and it ended up i just outsmarted the program <laughs> <laughs> you outsmarted the thing that you deliberately deliberately did which is a very common thing for me yeah uh when I when I did write at home when I was in my living in my trailer when I was writing like really early Dance of Cloaks like eight years ago, uh, I would do is my computer had a uh, a little Bluetooth or uh, not a USB Wi-Fi connector in the back, and that was how it connected the internet. I would just physically remove that from the back of the computer and hand it to my wife, and she wouldn't give it back to me until like an hour and a half later or so until I was done writing. Yeah. Uh, so freedom kind of does that now because I, mean, I probably should just unplug the internet from the back of it, but it's uh, I, I I know people have been joking about switching all their font to Comic Sans on Twitter. Oh right, I, I have not tried that. I'm not going to do that. that I'm, I'm never going to try that. <laughs> I'm not sure I can handle it. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, to continue the rapid fire, Fonda. I spent the last time I was on here like talking about how much Breit was awesome. Uh-huh. Uh, Sarah is your editor, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, I, I have not had the fortune to meet Sarah, like most everyone in orbit. I haven't been able to meet very much. Uh, would you like to talk about what it's like to work with her? Yeah, Sarah's great. I mean, she... Um, uh, base, so, uh, I have a, a great story about how she came to be my editor um, that I actually wrote up as a blog post for... Um, <laughs> manuscript wish list so if you want the all the gory details you can go there uh but in in short um sarah moved to orbit from daw she was at daw before uh and i think it was it would have been um in like 20 late like mid to late 2016 and um i had and in december of of 2016 i finished jade city and i sent it to my agent and um we were compiling a list of like editors that it would go out to and um the tweet showed up um and sarah retweeted it and it was basically like hashtag mswl for manuscript wish list and it was something like you know give me like a uh, Game of Thrones esque story, but set in like 1930s Asia <laughs> with gang families and magic. <laughs> You're like, well, yeah, I know. I was like, is this for? Re-? I didn't see it, but a friend of mine, actually one of my beta readers, happened to see it and sent it to me and was like, "Have you seen this?" And I was like, "That is." Weird, because I, I mean, except for the fact that it's not 1930s, um, you know, real, our, our world, Asia, I was like, it has, still has a little bit of that feel to it. Yeah, because I had spent three years writing this thing, and like, this editor at Orbit had just tweeted that she wanted like, almost exactly the thing that I had written. So, I, I 
showed it to my agent, and he's like, well, I guess she's going on the top of the submission list. <laughs> and so, so we said, like, then everything shut down for the holidays, and we all went away for, for Christmas, and then in the new year, he sent it to her, like, second week of January, and, like, in February, like, three weeks later, she came back with an offer, and, like, all's well that ends well. So it was, it was this, I almost feel like it was destiny that I ended up with Sarah, because she just that she could want something that was so specific she had to, have been to so what I had script hit. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Cause like she, she, the blog post we did was like alternating POV. Like I wrote a little bit and then she wrote a little bit of like what happened. And um, from her, it was funny for me to read it. Cause obviously I don't know what was going on in her head at the time, but she said, Oh, when like, uh, Jim, my agent, sent me that. I often get emails from agents like promising that they have exactly what I want. And like, it's never actually that. <laughs> but <laughs> so I was very, she was very skeptical that like this tweet had actually resulted in this thing that was like exactly what she had been, she'd been asking for. So it was one of those like very strange, but like, but uh, wonderful kismet moments. Um, and Sarah has been great. Um, and she has, she has, uh, has picked up a bunch of other authors, but I, I was, I believe her first acquisition at Orbit. So we, we were like kind of in it for the ride together. Um, and and it, all, it all seemed to happen. Like it was like a boulder rolling downhill because they acquired it like in March and the book was out in November, which was like, <laughs> wow. Orbit can go fast. For Orbit, yeah, that's definitely yeah. fast. Yeah, can go fast. And uh, it, it was, I mean, I was coming from my YA novels, which take forever to come out because there's it just seems to be this very long lead time especially because my my way publisher is scholastic so they sell a lot through like school and library channels so mm -hmm. like the time from when i handed a manuscript to when like the time of my YA book comes out is like a year and a half so with orbit it was like wow it felt like my book came out like tomorrow that's like, like yeah. in publishing timeline um but sarah has been great to work with and um and is like gets the book and is just super smart about um about it. I, I've, I've had a great experience with like the orbit team overall they're just yeah uh, the reason uh, i brought it up is i believe you were the one that was uh talking about your two hour plus long phone calls oh yes <laughs> <laughs> and uh shut me down when i was talking about me and breed's uh hour and a half to two hour phone calls right, and right. you were like we're just getting started yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. What? At one point in that in that editorial phone call, I was like, "Sarah, I have to go to the bathroom." <laughs> <laughs> and I if start you're... to feel so guilty after that that long, I'm like, man, I've taken up so much of Breed's time. She has so many things she probably needs to do. I could probably shut up now. <laughs> it was so helpful, though, because afterwards I was like brain dead. I don't think I could even kind of think oh, coherently for about 24 48 hours oh that's, yeah i need two to three days not to do anything until i jump right. back in it's it's the best when you can have that phone call like that i've called breed so many times where i'm just like i don't know what to do and then i'll just fling ideas at her randomly for like an hour and a half and right. then by the end of it i'll like okay i think i know what to do thanks for the help and she'll just be like okay yep <laughs> and yep. then other times it'll be great i we need a title for book two. Do you have any ideas? Because I don't. 
And then she'll send me like 50 title suggestions and eventually I'll just be like, ah, sure, let's go with that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's Titles wrap- and covers. <laughs> Let's wrap up the podcast, and uh, I think a good thing we can do is uh, to tell listeners what we ourselves are reading at the time. Uh, for me, uh, David suggested Caves of Steel by I- Isaac Asimov. Uh, oh, that's great. Because I wrote a robot detective noir, and I'm seeing <gasps> all these similarities, and I hadn't ri- written, written the bo- uh, I hadn't read this book before, and so oh, it's really going to, I hope it, like I knocked it out of the park, but it's really good. So thank you, David, for suggesting that. Uh, I just got done reading uh, Rage of Dragons by Evan Winter, uh, who's coming out with Orbit. And I think, David, are you still reading that one? I'm still reading that one. I did I not heard about near as much book. as I wanted to. <laughs> I, I have to say, Caves of Steel is uh, a favorite old classic of mine. I just love Asimov's robot series more than his foundation series. I love his robot series. Yeah. I, we were ending our our chat last time, and I think we I don't even think we were recording at this point. I think we were no, just chatting, we were just talking. Yeah, and he was like, "So I'm I'm planning on writing this book that's about like this detective robot and the super popular oh. future." And I was like, "Have you read Caves of Steel?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely different. Um, yep. It's with my agent right now, the mine, but it's completely different. But there are similarities to it that are just kind of very cosmically strange. It's kind of like uh, with you and uh, Sarah. Uh, it's just it, it's going together very, too well um, <laughs> because the cities in my book uh, is it's lower and upper Vamisa and Vamisa backwards is uh, Asimov. So it's, I, I like it. I hate that the detective though is constantly trying to like say that the robot's the one who murdered it, and, and he's constantly being like, uh, "No, dude, that, that's not, that's not how it is," uh, and this is why. And it's, he's like, "Oh, we all well, know, shoot." Y'all, y'all know Daniil's the actual star of those books. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. totally. And I'm like, "What you the gotta, heck? I mean, especially once you get to near the end, like robots and empire, and like Daniil is he's such a, he really comes into his own as like this great character. Ah, yeah. he was he was great i loved him so what are you yeah. reading i have an arc of uh max gladstone's new space opera nice mm-hmm. empress of forever and i have just started it um but i have, i'm very excited to be reading that and let's see what else what else did i uh did i read oh i recently read um ian mcdonald's luna and speaking of um, of uh, books that you kind of hear about after the fact, so um, after I wrote Jade City, I saw a few people online comparing it to Luna, which I had not read. I've met Ian; he's a lovely person, and um, but I had not read his his novel. Uh, and Luna is um, it's about family dynasties on the moon, basically. And um, oh wow. Yeah, and I I enjoyed it quite a lot. I haven't read the sequel, but I believe he has a third planned, and then he has a novella in the same universe that's coming out. But I could, it, it's you know, it's uh, it's nothing like Jade City, and yet I could still see how the comparison works because it is kind of about family rivalry and dynasty and intrigue, but with these corporate families on the moon. Right. That sounds awesome, too. I'm going to write that one down. Well, cool. Um, This has been 
fantastic. I would love to have both of you on again. Heck, I would love to host a, a different podcast with both of you. Uh, <laughs> but I know we're all very, very busy. Um, just to recap, uh, Fonda's next book in the Green, Green Bone Saga is Jade War, and that comes out in July. Um, which I guess is going to be competition for Ash Kickers, which comes out in July. And also Dale Lucas has a book coming out in July. <laughs> July is going to be July's a huge month. July is going to be month. busy. Yes. <laughs> Good grief. Uh, and David's, uh, I saw that you got your uh, proofs in for Soul Keeper. Yes. Those came in they today. They look good. I like the cover. Oh. I'm so excited. I can't wait to, they're working on the cover for book two. It's going to be like even crazier. I can't wait till we get the art. It's going to be a crazy assassin bird woman on the cover of book two. <laughs> you have great art on your covers. I, uh, I have managed to have like some of the best orbit has pumped out on like everything of mine. So yeah, I'm totally spoiled. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, both of those books uh, from David and Fonda are from orbit and, uh, get them when they come out guys thanks so much for coming on cosmic dragon thanks for having me thanks for coming on david i was I'm glad that we got to well, have thank chance. you for uh, not minding me uh crashing in on your parade here are you kidding this was a lot of fun <laughs>